I want to challenge you with a few what-ifs before I get into today's podcast. What if deeply rooted, stubborn, unwanted behavior is more proof that we are changing rather than we can't change? What if desire isn't actually the problem, but the vehicle for the solution? What if bonds can be broken on a desire for truth level rather than a I've got to put myself on a self-discipline regiment level? What if there's actually a big difference between your wires in a box brain cognitions and your thirsty, hungry heart? What if being Christ-like isn't about the bondage of the religion, but the freedom of pouring out in other-centered, self-giving love? What if realizing the lies that we believe could break our hearts in a good way, like resetting a fracture? And what if seeing through our cracks and even our scars of our impoverished hearts is actually a door to future blessing? Just a question. Just a what-if question to ponder. Get into some Lecrae. We some broken people came from broken homes. Broken hearts inside of a broken soul Alcoholics to addicts, English, African, Arabs Ain't no riches to fix it, you still broke when you have it If you ain't breaking bad and you still chasing a habit It ain't no wonderland, so we still chasing a rabbit Ain't a soul on the planet that's better than another And we all need grace in the face of each other What's up? Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. This is episode 59, season three of the podcast, part two of my interview with Stephen Kewen, author of 10 Lies Men Believe About Porn. Stephen, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me, Russ. You bet. Uh, we got long in the last interview and uh, <laughs> in the coffee shop there in Seattle. We're at my home in the basement, as it were, and... Uh, Thanks for coming up. Thanks for coming up from Oregon and visiting the fine city up here. And uh, it's good to have you face to face. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm always looking for an excuse to get up to Seattle. Uh, you know, I, I wish the Hawks were in town this weekend and that would have been the perfect trip. But uh, <laughs> yeah. hey, it's still Seattle, whether they're at home or on the road. That's right. Got beat by the Cowboys, though. Man. Yeah, yeah, we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> we don't have to talk about that. I'm sure my friends in Texas that listen will be uh, be uh, happy to talk about that. But we're not going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> back to your to your book. We left off on... Uh, so you wrote this book, uh, Ten Lies Men Believe About Porn. I wanted to ask you a few questions. We, we talked a little bit about motivations for writing the book. What kind of had you birth this thing out you know i mean it's one thing to write a book and, and a lot of people want to write a book uh, but you i mean how old are you man 34 34 um you wrote a lot of stuff in this book that that i i'm kind of like <laughs> i'll be honest with you dude i'm sitting back and going i don't have to write a theology book now because <laughs> because steven here already wrote it um we would probably disagree a little bit on some things but we we agree on so many things and i think this book is so important um, what was it in, in you that really, I mean, you talked a little bit about that in the last interview, but 
what helped what really made this thing you pregnant with this book so to speak yeah um to be honest i didn't want to write a book um <laughs> you know it, it's funny like you said a lot of people want to write a book well i was I, I never envisioned myself as a writer right um i've been i've been working in the publishing industry for years uh doing graphic design uh, book design that sort of stuff um and that's still how i pay a lot of the bills today uh, so I, I'd seen the industry. I knew a lot about what went into writing a book. And, I mean, the longest thing I'd ever written was maybe like a two-page research paper in high school. And so I, you know, I've always loved books, but I never saw myself as a guy to write one. Um, and then when all this happened in my life and God got a hold of me and just steamrolled me and, and all of a sudden I realized, like, you know, God has given me a message Right. of how to find freedom from an area that so many men are shackled to. Um, and so, but the way that started was with leading recovery groups. And I just started meeting with guys one-on-one -on -one and in groups and sharing this message. And, and uh, but I was constantly looking for curriculum so, or something that we can kind of go through together. Because, you know, my favorite meetings are when I just sit down and, and talk with guys one-on-one. -on -one. But a lot of times guys aren't really comfortable with that yet. They, they want a book to go through or something where it's like, you know, they can kind of get their feet wet in the whole like recovery thing. And, uh, but I started looking at, at, at all these books and there's a ton of great books out there that deal with pornography addiction and all that. But I found that that's exactly it. They deal with pornography addiction as if that is the issue. And what I realized in my life is that's just a symptom. Right. And you can get really good at fighting pornography addiction but it's the same as getting really good at wiping your nose when you have pneumonia. Yeah. You know, sure, you could figure out how every time the snot comes to get it off your face, but it's going to keep coming. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to just not have to wipe the snot away at all, figure out how to cure the pneumonia. You know, take some antibiotics. And I figured that was the same thing with, with my journey. When I was trying to fight the pornography addiction, I would find success for, you know, two, three, four weeks at a time, but it was never lasting. When I found lasting freedom, real life change, it came from understanding how, like, how God changes my heart inside. Right. It was a heart issue. It was, you know, what was the root cause underneath the surface that was leading to the pornography addiction? And that book didn't exist. You know, I read amazing books like Wild at Heart, The Bondage Breaker, uh, The Cure, Classic Christianity, all these great books that talked about these core biblical truths. But the typical guy that's looking to get free from pornography addiction, he's not going to get on Google, type in porn addiction recovery and find the bondage breaker. You know, so right. that's when I kind of realized if guys are going to get this message of freedom and see how the gospel, understanding the true gospel, that's what sets them free. You know, what if I took these biblical truths that I had misunderstood and put them in the framework of pornography addiction? So I feel like that's kind of what, what my goal was with the book. The book isn't about, like, like you said, it's not really, I mean, yes, it's about pornography addiction. That's my story. That's why that's the theme of the book. But in reality, this book, um, I, had, I knew a guy that, that read it with his wife, and he emailed me and said his wife was struggling with prescri prescription drug ab abuse, and she found a lot of freedom, you know, and so it's like, Really, this book isn't just about how to get free from porn. This book is about how to come alive to Christ and how to allow him to change you and make you whole and make you into the man that, that he wants you to be. And by doing that, the pornography addiction, the, the whatever 
way your sinfulness manifests, that gets taken care of. Right. So that's that's why I wrote the book. I wrestled with God for a year on this. I was like, God, I'm not a writer. I'm not. Yeah. And uh, but to be honest, um, I go back and I read the book now, and I feel like I'm reading something that was written by somebody else. Right. And I mean, I'm by no way am I saying this is like divine scripture or whatever, but. I can tell you that there's no way I wrote this book on my own. It's like I go back and read it now, and it's like I feel like God chose me to share this message that he gave me right. in the written medium. And that is what's cool about it is it's, it, it's a heart-level message, but it also is good curriculum. Because I felt that too. That's why I wanted to write a book. I'm not a writer either. I don't even like to read. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the books I, I devour are through audio because I drive all day and and stuff like that. I do read. I have dyslexia, so what, you know, reading for me is laborious and it's it's difficult. It's something I have to kind of make myself do. I like the information and I like to read, but it that's one of those things is like it's, uh, it's tough. But uh I did feel the same as you, just feeling like, "Hey man, people need some kind of, you know, a, a curriculum sort of a thing, something to understand." And the way that you spill out the gospel in this, I just I'm, I'm proud of you, man, for writing the book because I think it's important. Again, and uh, it's it's we believe lies, don't we? Absolutely. And but lies keep us in bondage, and we we believe them like they're true. You know. Well, that's the thing because most of us don't realize that they're lies, oh. and that's that's Satan's best trick. That's the deception. I mean, he is called the father of lies. He wants us to believe that what we are believing is true, when in reality, it's not. Right. And that was that was the most shocking thing for me in my recovery was realizing I grew up in the church. I even went to seminary, you know, and uh, granted, I dropped out after a term. But, hey, I was there. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's like I knew all the answers to the Bible trivia questions and all that stuff. But what I realized when God took me through this journey of recovery, that there was so much I believed about God and about myself and about the gospel that just wasn't true. Right. And once I got that cleaned up. All of a sudden, all the stuff that God promises us in Scripture, you know, the fruit of the Spirit will flow from you naturally, and, and you know, people will know you by your love, and all this stuff just started happening. And I found that, you know, pornography wasn't something I was having to fight anymore. It was just something I no longer desired. Right. And it was because I was being fulfilled by the true gospel, by having Christ within me. And, uh, that I mean, that's what scares me. Like, really, my passion for this book isn't just that guys will find freedom from porn. I think that, you know, my generation and and younger, the 20 and 30 year olds, are so many that are walking away from the church as soon as they get out of their house because they say, this Christianity thing, it doesn't work. You know, I I was- Morality. Right, I was raised- kind of a, yeah. Yeah, and they say, I was raised in the church, my parents are Christians, Um, it didn't change their life, it hasn't changed my life, therefore it's not true. And so my challenge, you know, that's uh, chapter seven in, in the book, which we just started to touch on at the at the end of the last last interview. But my challenge to those guys is say, okay, before you walk away altogether and say Christianity doesn't work, why don't you just say, well, what if what I'm believing is Christianity isn't actually the gospel? That's right. You know, what if I am believing this false version of Christianity and that's why it doesn't work? So give that one final shot before you so, walk so away. So lie number seven is is what then? Well, lie number seven... That's where we kind of left off. And yeah, Jesus can set others free from pornography addiction, but not me. Right. You know, and, and that's kind of what 
what I was what I was just talking about is it's like you have this belief where it's like sure you know this Christianity thing may work for some people right but not me yeah and so the truth that sets you free from that is you know if you believe Jesus is Lord you can trust that everything he promises is true even for you and the way that 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 plays out practically is just that that understanding of it's like well if if the path if the the Christian path you know I, I'm on audio so you can't see my little air quotes here but uh, yeah. yeah if the air quote christian path isn't working for you that means one of two things either a the bible's a lie mm-hmm. and it's not true or b what you are believing is the christian path isn't actually the, the christian, christian path, path right? you know and people don't like hearing that and yeah. they're like oh you, you know but but it, those are the only options. It can't be anything other than than those two. Right. And, you know, so I really challenge guys, like, really explore that. Seek the truth in that. Ask yeah. the Lord, are there areas where, you know, like, in, in my story, I thought that I was following this Christian path. I was trying harder. I was showing up to accountability groups. But, you know, I wasn't being fully honest. I was, I was still just kind of, you know, I, I would share just enough to make it look like I was being honest. Right. And... You know, I was doing all these things that I was, that, you know, the church would say, yes, this is great stuff. This is how you get free. But what I wasn't doing was trusting Jesus fully. And all along, I knew he was, he was saying, you know, you need to come clean with your wife. You need to stop hiding. And, but I didn't trust him enough in that area. Right. And I said, you know, no, Jesus, you're crazy. If I do that, she'll leave me. And, and, you know, that's the worst idea ever. So what I was saying is I'm going to create my own little Christian path, which involves doing most of what the Bible says, but not actually trusting Jesus in that one area that he's calling me to. Right. It's a lot easier to go through the the hoops, right? It's a lot easier to check off the list than it is to actually build a relationship with God. Exactly. Because that's what he's really after is that that deeper relationship. It's Right. And that that hard thing he was calling me to, you know, in my case, it was confession with other guys. It can be other things. But that hard thing he was calling me to, it wasn't about behavior. It wasn't him saying, I want to see if you're good enough at, you know, if you can follow the rules well enough to do this. It was about trust. It was about him saying, look, I'm Lord. And even though my ways may not make sense to you, if you trust me enough to do this, I will prove to you that I can change your life. And in retrospect, that's exactly what happened. I mean, I'm so bullheaded. It took me literally having no other options. Like I was just, my entire world was, world was falling apart before I said, okay, fine, Jesus, I'll give you a chance. Right. <laughs> you know, but once I did literally in that moment, yes, it was, it was the hardest thing in my life. And it was terrible to see the pain that that caused my wife. But that was the moment that Christ became real to me. That was the moment when all of a sudden Christianity was more than just head knowledge and memorizing things. It was like just instantly I felt like I had this direct connection to Christ. And my whole life changed. My perspective changed. The way I interacted with, with my wife from that point on uh, through the, the struggle and all that was completely different. I was more focused on how can I love and care for her rather than how can I protect myself right. and try and fix this. And I, and that that was really the moment where I realized, you know, maybe what I've been believing is not true. Right. And this is what true Christianity looks like. Right. Because it's the gospel. Yeah. As opposed to morality and, and rules and... Right. I don't know. It's I don't know how that message got in, but it's been around for a while. 
still around, man. I'm listening to Christian radio coming home. I went to a pastor friend of mine, graduated from a, he's an Everett uh, uh, chaplain, and he graduated from the Chaplain's Academy last night, went down there, and it was awesome. And, and I mean, those people, dude, I mean, talk about you know, boots on the ground when it comes to the worst day in people's lives. Oh, yeah. And they're there to, you know, to console and, and but anyway, I'm, I'm driving home and I'm listening to Christian radio, which I shouldn't do. It just usually just, and the, and this guy's just going off about this moralistic, and I've heard this sermon before, you know, the kind of, he, he, well, you know, God, you know, opposes the the uh, people who, and, and just talking about just surfacy morality, and, and I don't remember the whole thing, but it was, it was repulsive. And it's, and I see that now. But when I was younger, I, I didn't see that. Like, I thought, okay, well, that's what good Christians do. Mm-hmm. And I'm not that person. Yeah, it's all about behavior. Yeah, yeah, it's all about behavior. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Russ, clean yourself up. Yeah, exactly. And who you hang out with, and, you know, you don't celebrate Halloween, because <laughs> that's all cavorting <laughs> with demons, right? Yeah. Stuff like that. And it was just like, wow, you know? Um, but you get into where the rubber meets the road in this um, line number eight is a big one, and it's one of those things that's kind of like you're talking about under the surface. So, you know, a lot of NoFap, there's a lot of folks like on NoFap, spend any time on NoFap. There's a lot of folks who just want the behavior to go away, right? Mm-hmm. Well, give me some behavior mod that will help this thing go away. And so, a lot of that stuff does work, and I do believe in behavior modification. It's good stuff, but it will work for a short period of time. If you do not do the hard work under the floorboards, right, right, you know, it's like uh, I used to live in Alaska. We had this this term called uh, peeing your pants to keep your backside warm. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's twenty below zero, yeah. and if you have to go to the bathroom, it is a strange, tempting feeling because you know you're going to get hit with that splash of warmth. But if you do that, <laughs> it's going to go bad. It will feel great for a little while, but then it just goes horribly wrong. So, um, line number eight, talk about that, because that is, that is a, a big one. I mean, we could spend the whole show on that one. We're trying to move through these, but, but that, is, that is a big one. We, our hearts can get locked up on something, can't they? Yes. Kind of like a crashing computer hard drive, or you get a virus in your computer, and no matter what you do, everything on the surface doesn't seem to work if this thing isn't in place. And it's a lie that a lot of us believe. And it, it chokes people, man, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so lie number eight, um, you know, it's about forgiveness. So lie number eight, holding on to unforgiveness has no effect on my pornography addiction. And, you know, it was funny. When I, when I sat down, um, I, I wrote the outline for this book in about five minutes sitting at a Starbucks um, a couple years ago. I just, it was like I had this idea that, you know, I'm going to write a book called Ten Lies Men Believe About Porn. And I just knew it's like, not nine of them just came instantly. These are like, I believed it. Almost every guy that I've I've worked with in, in in groups, they believe these. So those nine were like super easy. And then I just figured, well, you know, ten's a nice round number. It sounds better than nine lies men believe about porn. And so I figured, well, if there's a if there's a tenth one, it'll come to me while I'm writing. And I was literally halfway through the first draft of the book before I finally realized that, um, you know, that lie is, is forgiveness. And I've just, I saw it time and time again with the men that I've worked with. Um, and I've seen it in my own life. And what happens, um, 
you know, the, the, the truth that sets you free from that is that unforgiveness is one of the most common ways of allowing spiritual bondage back into your life. Right. And that's the thing that the, the analogy that I use in the book is, is, you know, the familiar story of the Trojan horse, you know, and the, uh, speaking of computer viruses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And it's like, you know, you, you, you think that it's, it's this totally benign thing that, it, that if you, if you let it in, it's, it's not going to be a problem. Like, you know, if I let unforgiveness into my life, it's not going to affect my recovery. It's not going to affect my desire to look at porn. But once you let that, that root of unforgiveness take hold within you, it start. it's like a cancer that spreads within you. And you realize that that becomes, you know, it's like Satan knows that if you don't want to look at porn, you're going to have filters on your computer. You're going to be, you know, you're going to be very aware of trying to resist and you're going to have fences up and all that to make it harder for him to tempt you in that area. So he's going to look for a back door, some other way he can gain access back into your life. Right. And nine times out of ten, it's through unforgiveness. Right. And because what, what people don't realize is, is unforgiveness, at its root, what it is is you're saying, God, I don't trust you. And because, you know, God makes it clear in the Bible that he wants to be the one to make things right. If, if, you know, we will be sinned against, that's, that's just a given. In this fallen world, people will hurt us. People will sin against us. And we look at forgiveness as this, like, thing we have to do. And he's, oh, well, you know, Russ just punched me in the face, and so, therefore, I forgive Russ. There, I did it, God. <laughs> you know. Turn the other cheek, brother. Right. And, yeah. and we look at it as this thing we have to do. But in reality, forgiveness is the gift that God gives us. It's what allows... Let's, I mean, let's say you do punch me in the face. Forgiveness is what God gives me as a tool to allow the pain of that to stop affecting my life permanently. Right. You know, and the way that works is you say, like, God, I'm going to trust that you will make things right. You will, you know, bring vengeance if necessary. You will, you know, it's like God knows the whole situation. I don't. For all I know, you know, you had a terrible morning and you've got, you know, your cat just died and you know you you know like who knows what you're going through and it was just out of your emotions you end up freaking out and punching me in the face you know (laughs) i don't know that stuff so how can i be a good judge of what the penalty my pastor resigned yeah yeah. you kind of look like a skinnier version of him so yeah there we go my my, my neck's a little smaller (laughs) so we have reconciled but yeah, that's yeah. that's another thing, though. I mean, I'm, I make light and I make jokes, but but that's one of those things. And, and this is a this is a big one, and it's something that people are going to have to take some time to to work out in their heart. Because now, here's something that I've I've been in debates with folks about. Because there's some jacked up teaching about forgiveness. Where uh, I was talking to some folks. Well, I'll use a case study. I don't like to use people's stories that, that I, they haven't given me permission to get into their stories, but um, a case study for you. Um, there's a there's a guy, a pastor in, in, say, Texas, who's teaching, he's a Cowboys fan, so, <laughs> of course, he's got bad theology. Yeah, um, naturally. See that? <laughs> no, but anyway, so he's teaching, uh, he's teaching people that forgiveness is something you do out of reconciliation. Like, and that that was a lie that this this person believed that she thought that okay um if if i forgive my dad um again this is a this is a case study dad 
and, and some of the stuff that we get into in this ministry, um, it, it's it's hard and it's dark. And Dad did some horrible things to her when she was a little girl. Right. Dad sought reconciliation after he went to jail. She's, you know, in her 30s, has kids. Grandpa wants to meet the kids, wants back in her life. Um, so, you know, and they, and they have this relationship with him, but he's still, you know, he's still got these kind of warning signs and stuff. He's still a little creepy. He's out of jail, but he's still, you know, got some things on his computer that shouldn't be there kind right. of stuff, right? Because her, her husband works in that area and helping him out with the little computer stuff. It's like, okay. So she f- thought that, okay, if I forgive him, then that means we're reconciled. And that uh, that's not necessarily true, is it? No. Because that's, and that's a lie that she believed. And that's a lie that was taught by a pastor. Like saying that, oh, okay, well, you don't have to forgive everybody. You know, it's okay to hold this thing if that person doesn't reconcile with you. But then I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, let's go back to the bonehead um, logic of the cross and of the gospel. Again, the gospel, not religion, just good news, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's one of the definitions of the gospel. Jesus' hand is on the cross being nailed, driven into his hand. And what does he say? Forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. Right. So was he reconciled <laughs> with the Pharisees in that moment? No, he wasn't. Now, reconciliation and forgiveness are two different things, aren't they? Yes, definitely. You know, rec- reconciliation takes takes two people. Um, and the Bible says, you know, as much as it depends on you, try to be reconciled. So we can do whatever we can do to try and reconcile relationships. You know, there's people that I've hurt in the past that I would love to be reconciled to. And I have apologized to them and I have asked for their forgiveness. Um, but just they don't trust me. And I get that. Yeah, I mean, me too. They, without seeing that I'm a different person now, why would they trust me? Yeah. You know, and so I would hope that they are able to forgive me for their own sake. But that's the thing is it's like forgiveness isn't about, you know, becoming best friends again. Forgiveness at its core is saying, you know, God, I trust you to make this right. I am not going to have this affect my life because, you know, we, it's easy for us to, to realize it. Like when, when Christ died on the cross, he paid for our sins, but he also paid for the sins that are done against us. That's true, man. You know, Amen and so it's forgiveness is saying, you know, Lord, I believe that the cross was big enough to cover this. And because forgiveness is about, it's, it's about setting yourself free. Mm-hmm. It's about saying, I'm not going to allow that to affect me. And I know it's, it's one thing to talk about this. This is, of all the things in the book, this is probably the touchiest issue. Because like yeah. you said, I mean, with this ministry, you and I know, and most uh, a lot of our listeners probably know that, I mean, there is some nasty crap that have gone on in people's lives. That, that story you shared as an example, you know, I, that may be more normal than not with mm-hmm. people that struggle in this area. Oh, yeah. You know, and so, yeah, let's just... Let's just say you've got one of those situations. Your dad abused you when you were a kid. And let's just say he hasn't even asked for forgiveness. And he still denies it and pretends like nothing happened and said, oh, well, you should just be a big kid and ignore it. Mm-hmm. You know, well, does that mean you don't forgive him? Well, you know, people don't like hearing this, but the Bible's pretty clear. It's like you've, you've got two options again. You can either hold on to that and let it control your life. And you're going to allow Satan access into your life it's going to cause depression and anger and frustration and it's 
I mean, you're going to be tormented by this forever. Right. The, and the, the salve for anger, depression, is it, pornography is a good one. Right, exactly. Alcohol, drugs, pick your salve yeah. for that heart wound. I mean, that's what we're getting into is the heart wounds that are, that. I mean, it's like alcoholism. It's one thing that drives me crazy about some of the 12-step the uh, recovery, kind of, I'll use that term, secular recovery, is this demonizing alcohol. Well, if you can just get rid of alcohol, then you're probably, no, no, sorry. Alcohol's not the disease. It's your heart's disease. Right. Alcohol's a symptom of a deeper disease. And it's the same with pornography. And and we're getting into that heart disease right here, aren't we? Right. Yeah. And then so, but what is the solution? If you've got that pain that you're trying to, to medicate with pornography or whatever, you know, the pain from that past abuse, what is the solution? Well, the solution is to... To say, and again, I understand this is not easy. It's one thing to say this. It's a whole other thing to do it. But the solution is to say, you know, Lord, I trust that you provided the solution on the cross. I trust that it's your power that's going to overcome this in me. And it's saying, you know, it's it's taking the hooks of that pain out of you and, and, you know, kind of mentally in your mind handing it to Jesus, you know, and saying, here's the pain. Here's what it's cost me. Here's the effect it's had on my life. I don't want it to keep affecting my life. I'm going to trust you to take care of it and to make it right. Right. And you you let it go. Right. And again, and that I, doesn't mean you have grandpa over on the weekends. Exactly. If you're you, not reconciled. But it does mean that you don't seek aught against him. Right. Or want to get vengeance. Right. Because that's, again, that's not our job. Yeah, that's not. You know? But and, and that's important to realize is there's there's a lot of lies we hear out there. The whole thing like oh we need to forgive and forget. Dude, you will never forget. That's not even possible. I know. And it's, it's like, like an oompa loompa, or a, you know, right? <laughs> well, the reality is it's like that's not even possible for God. I mean, God is omniscient. He knows yeah, everything, the past, exactly. present, future. You know, so if forgive and forget was possible, then Jesus need, didn't need to come, and they would all be forgiven, forgot, right? Right. That's but it's silly. It's choosing to to live as if it didn't happen because right. you're. You, you will always remember it. And, and forgiveness is not a one-time thing. I mean, those oh, memories, yeah. every time you see Grandpa, those memories are going to come into your mind, and you'll have to say, like, okay, Lord, I've chosen to let you deal with this. Right. You know, I'm not going to let it affect me. But then also, I like, can love him. Yeah. Even though he's not going to watch my kids on the weekend, I can choose to love him because God loves him. Right. And you may need to love him from a distance. Yeah. If you, if you don't see If you're not reconciled, yeah. yeah. And that's okay, isn't it, Steve? Yeah, and you know it's it's funny. One one of the things I remember hearing uh, again. I mean, it seems like whenever I talk with you, we end up bringing up Driscoll. But one of the things that <laughs> one of the things that I heard him share in a sermon once that just really hit me is he's like, "You can forgive somebody and then call the cops on them." Yeah, and he's like, "Yeah, if if you're a wife and you have an abusive husband, and you know, you can." The gospel gives you the power to forgive him, and that is the only thing that will set you free from that. But by all means, if he is out of control, you call the cops. Right. You know, you get out of the house with the kids and protect them. Forgiveness does not mean acting like nothing else has happened. Right. You know, it's like if they're not willing to own their sin. You know, I encourage everybody, always be looking for signs of repentance. You know, hope that someday reconciliation is possible. Right. But unless you see, especially in those issues where safety is is at hand, if you don't see life change, you know, love them from a distance, right? you know, and be very careful about letting them back into your life. Very true. So lie number nine, because we could spend 
<laughs> a lot of time on this one. But we'll move into to lie number nine, man. What, what, talk to me about uh, about that one, bro. This is uh, this is good stuff. Yeah, lie number nine. I must shut down my desires if I want to be free from pornography. You know, and I'm willing to bet that most of us have had that thought along right. at, at some point. You know, for me, it was like, you know, I remember actually praying back in like high school and college, like, Lord, will you just take away my sex drive until I'm married? Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it was like, because, because I thought that was the issue was that, that, you know, it's like, I'm looking at porn because I have this like hyperactive sex drive, which, you know, as we saw back in, in line number two, that's, that's typically not the case. Um, but Oftentimes we, we feel like it's, it's our desire, our passions, that that's what's causing all the trouble. But the truth is, God doesn't want you to shut down your desires. He wants to redeem them. Right. And that's the, uh, you know, if you shut down your, in order to shut down your desires, you have to shut down your heart. And if you've shut down your heart, you're, you're useless. I mean, God wants us to be passionate. He wants us to be very driven towards a goal, towards, you know, it's like, in my case, it's, it, you know, God has made me very passionate about helping men find freedom from pornography. If I had completely shut down my heart and be, just become this nice, passive yes man that's just, you know, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Right. You know, if you don't have some sort of passion driving you, it, you're not going to be able to do any good for your for your wife, for your kids, for whatever ministry God may have called you to. Right. You know, and so the issue isn't shutting down your desires. It's allowing God to redeem them. And, and we see this that, uh, you know, in like 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, uh, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You know, when you come to Christ, when you trust Jesus, he makes you a new person. You're not, you're no longer the, you know, the porn addicted. Uh, I mean, it's like, yes, you may still struggle in those areas, but that's not the deepest essence of who you are. Right. We see this again in, in Ezekiel 36. It says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. What that means is it's like God literally will change your desires. He makes you a new person. And this, this all happens at that moment you trust Christ. It's not a, you know, God is making you into something new it's that he makes you it's it's done in that moment. Yeah, you when you it's get, already done it's when you a... get the holy spirit in you you uh-huh. become this new person your desires change but here's the thing is we don't always recognize that yeah. we still think that you know what we desire is pornography but when we start to understand the true desires of our heart what's really going on what what will actually satisfy us when we discover what that is and we start getting those needs met then suddenly, like you don't desire pornography, right? You know, and it I, changes and, the it changes your want tos, right? And we get into uh, uh, a couple of things that, that you said there. Um, it's it's just so critically important that again, uh, okay. So I get emails from people, random emails from people, and one of them was a guy who was plugging his uh, his he 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 does reviews, kind of like our movie critic for pornography movies and he was trying to get me to and that was his whole this is his whole hook was there's nothing wrong with desire right very true but if you're just you know the addictive nature of the new drug there's another whole campaign on that which is powerful because mm-hmm. of the more the neurological you know science that comes out about pornography addiction i mean it's like heroin man it's not good for people 
um, on a large scale. And, and it, it, so um, whether you fight pornography or whether you spread the gospel, here's another one I'll, I'll, I'll bounce off you while we're, we're talking about this. Um, I just got another email recently, and I've had a few of these over the years, where people are getting a hold of this message of the gospel versus religion. Right. And I just got another really cool, inspiring, encouraging uh, email from a guy in Brazil, where a country where most people speak Portuguese. Mm -hmm. So they're not hearing a lot of, you know, us talk about this. And it's it's not new. We're just going back to something that was started like back with Martin Luther and you know, some of the reformers. This is just the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's very good news. It's not a set of rules that you do. So some of these guys who are, you know, in these countries where most people don't speak English and spreading, learning to spread the gospel and letting that catch fire in their lives and seeing that like, wow, I don't even want to anymore. And it's not that we, it's not behavior replacement. It's just a different direction of your heart. Because you're right. And like you were saying, you can't just turn your heart off. That's silly. But that's what a lot of that morality. And I think the devil will even use morality. He'll even use the pastor in the pulpit who's saying it's about morality and you have to shut down your desire. Right. That's, a, that's, a, that's an evil message. That doesn't come from God. Right. Well, and what's, what's most damaging about this is what it does to non-Christians. Because right. it, if your belief is that the key to behavior change is shutting off your desire for negative behaviors, you know, you, what you're saying is I can change myself. It, it's about buck up, try harder, <laughs> yeah. you know. And so you go up to, say, a non-Christian, and, and if that's your worldview, you say, you know, look, buddy, you're, you're drinking, you're smoking, you're cussing, you're, you're sleeping with your girlfriend. All that needs to stop. Hey, come to Jesus. Right. You know, but what you're saying is it's like change yourself fix yourself and then god will love you you know and but that doesn't work and it's offensive to those people because because they don't have the they don't have the tools to do that and plus i mean apart from christ half the time they don't even think that what they're doing is wrong you know it's like it's the work of the holy spirit within us that not only convicts us of what needs to change but and this is key that's the holy spirit within us is what gives us the power to change yeah so you know it's a uh, if I have friends that, that are non-Christians, I never confront them on behavior, you know, and it's because, because if you see the message that, or you see the way that Jesus interacted with people, it was like, you know, I, I think last time we talked about the woman at the well and, you know, did he come up to her and say, you need to stop sleeping with the guy that you're living with <laughs> yeah, and, right. uh, oh, by the way, follow me. No, it was about, you know, he developed a relationship with her first. He earned her trust. And once that happened, then he said, okay, go and sin no more. Right. Because until somebody trusts Jesus, until somebody allows the Holy Spirit to come into them and give them a new heart, their old heart, just like we read in Ezekiel, it's stony. It, it has no power. It has no desire to change. Right. And all we're going to do is offend people. Yeah. So it's, it's Christ that changes our desires. It's the Holy Spirit within us that changes our desires. It's an inside-out process. And as long as you're beating your head against the wall, trying to make it an outside-in process, you're going to miss Jesus. And it's right. going to keep you from the one thing that will lead to lasting change. There's a song that I, that I heard that, that reminds me of what you're saying. And it was uh, called uh, one of the former bands that Marcel <laughs> recorded it. And it was beautiful. It was about, you know, putting on, like trying to put good fruit on a dead tree. Mm -hmm. You know, and trying to put, it's just, it doesn't work. You can't do it that way and that's that heart thing right like we're we're emotionally 
spiritual creatures. And that's another cool thing that even cognitive science is starting to find nowadays. Because if you go back to the, to the you know, late 70s, in the 70s, maybe late 60s, early 80s, B.F. Skinner had a lot of this influence on culture and psychological culture, which was that that our emotions are some kind of a byproduct that's left over from a bad evolution, right? And it's something that we should uh, try and ignore and try and purge ourselves from, which was it, looking back now, and I'm listening to a guy, uh, Phil Ivey at Berkeley, who's a cognitive neuroscientist, not a Christian, mm-hmm. but something he said that it stuck with me is just this, we're, we're not, if without emotions, you wouldn't do anything. Right. You know, you'd be like a, a computer or something. You, that's what we do. We are emotional beings. Start with emotion. And then we, but like a tree, everything else we grow and want to learn, want to know, you know, and motor skills and all that stuff. It just adds to, you know, that, that, the heart, which the Bible says the heart is going back to the Old Testament and the whole metaphor of the heart is simply our lives are just spilling out all the time, pumping blood from center. Mm-hmm. outward you know so yes very 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 true man line number 10 line number 10 god can no longer use me because of my pornography addiction <laughs> right yeah and uh you know how many of us have have believed that it's like you know yeah god may have plans for somebody else but i've just man i've screwed up royally there's no way he can use me Right. And uh, but the truth is that God uses broken pe- broken people to do amazing things for his kingdom regardless of their past. You know, and if if you read uh pretty much any story in the Bible, <laughs> I mean it seems like it seems like God goes out of his way to find these these men and women that have are just clearly not the best choice. Right. You know, and it's a ragtag Motley crew bunch, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, gosh, look at Samson uh, or yeah. You know, or, or David, you know, and it's like pe- people forget, like King David, he, he was an adulterer and, and a murderer and, and, and you know, just... Uh, the Apostle Paul. Oh, yeah. 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 He, he, used, he was killing Christians, you know, oh, yeah. and and so it's like God finds these people and, and I think it's because, like, if he found the people that the world would say, yeah, they're the most qualified, then everyone would say, well, yeah, look at all the great work that, that Russ is doing in in the kingdom. You know, but it, it, when God uses these people that everyone would be like, there's no way that guy should be having any influence based on his past. And all right. of a sudden you see, you know, God working through them. It's clear that it's God that's doing it. Right. And, but I mean, the, this all comes back to like Romans eight twenty eight. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And, you know, I look at my life, look at your life, look at all the, the junk that we've been through by our own poor choices, you know, and yet here we are sitting here recording an interview that hopefully will help at least a couple guys, right? you know, get a little bit closer to freedom. Yeah. And so what we'll else learn from our bloodshed, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like we walked through the minefield and blew off a couple limbs, right? you know, we're not anything special, but, but it's you like, you can learn from our bloodshed. Yeah. You look again yeah. at that, at that verse in Romans and it's like, you know, God hasn't made our past mistakes good. You know, it's like, it's not like God is saying, oh, it's it's okay that you had looked at porn. But what, it's like God's in heaven and he says, you know, yeah, you guys were, you know, making all these poor choices and that caused a lot of pain, but I can still use that. I can use that as the school of hard knocks that, have, that has been, you know, 
your experience now, you can share that with others. And, you know, I use the story of the, uh, the demoniac that, um, Jesus, they, they, they meet him in the graveyard and, right. uh, you know, he's chained up, he's all bloody cause he's cutting himself. And I mean, the guy is clearly just a mess. The whole town is scared of this guy. And, you know, Jesus comes and, uh, you know, sets him free. And this man immediately says like, Oh Lord, I, I, can I get in the boat and go with you? And Jesus says, well, no, my job for you is to stay here. And he basically basically says, I want you to stay here and reach these people. And so in that moment, when Jesus is leaving, like the whole town, everybody is, is, is running him out. They're like, we don't want you here. And, and so the whole town runs Jesus and the disciples off. And the only man that's left is this demoniac. And all of a sudden, people start realizing this guy's life has clearly changed. Right. Because we knew him as the crazy guy, and now he's normal, and he's going around, and he's telling us all about how Jesus set him free. Uh, a few months or a few years, I don't know the exact timeline, but eventually, later in the Gospels, we see Jesus come back to this area. And that's where you have the crowd of multitudes and thousands that come to hear Jesus speak. Well, how did all those people have their minds changed from, let's run this guy out of town, to, I, I want to hear every word he has to say. Right. You know, it was the one man that was there, and it was this demoniac. Right. You know, and it's not like he went to seminary for three or four years and learned enough to teach these people. No, it. I mean, it sounds like literally the day that he finally took the chains off, put some clothes on, and stopped being, you know, possessed by the demon, like immediately he goes into town and starts sharing. Right. Because our stories are powerful. I mean, I've had people in my life that have said, like, man, I don't even recognize who you are anymore because I knew you two years ago. Right. And, and well, in this case, more like, you know, five years ago. But it's like, and, and I can see you're different. What's, what's changed? Right. You know, and so I, I'd encourage all you, all the listeners, like, don't ever discount, no matter how far gone you are. I mean, I've heard of guys that they've come to Christ in prison for, for like terrible crimes. And yeah, they're going to live out the rest of their days behind bars, but they became, they basically become chaplains in prison, you know? And it's right. like, these guys have prison ministry from the inside, Yeah. you know? And so no. There's no story that God can't redeem. Yeah, absolutely. Very true. I have Christian friends that are like, why do you celebrate Halloween, right? Because isn't that morning with demons and stuff like that? So I'll get that from time to time. <clears throat> and I don't see American Halloween as what, you know, worshiping the devil, right? right. It's, just, it's just a silly, fun holiday. But I think it's important because in culture we kind of... Uh, you know, and Christians especially, we're just the do-goody goods and we're the ones that celebrate what's always awesome, right? Kind of like the Lego movie. <laughs> seen that, right? Everything is awesome, right? And that yeah, the surface. best movie ever made. <laughs> Actually, speaking of Halloween, my, my daughter's going as Unikitty this year oh, and I'm going to be 1980-something space guy. So, <laughs> oh, there yeah. you go. That's great. See that? I mean, there's a total gospel message to that film, by the way, which I which I love. But, uh, but yeah, so... So, you know, with some of my Christian friends who are still kind of hung up on things like Halloween, I think it's because, like like the Demoniac, which, by the way, would be a great name for a Christian metal band, right? Yeah. <laughs> Those stories, and sometimes it's okay to focus on the dark stuff, because in the dark stuff comes light and redemption. And if we don't know the darkness... Where's the light? You know, I mean, there's been darkness in my life. Um, and, and it gives me an opportunity to even pry into to some of those stories. 
Like, hasn't God filled the, the, the darkness with light with you? Right. You know, um, there was a, a Christian couple that handed out tracks a while back in this condo we were staying in after I burnt the house down. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother story, by the way. But, uh, yeah, that's, you shouldn't let me cook and when my wife goes out of town. Um, but yeah, we, so we stayed in this, this condo and this couple, Christian couple was handing out tracks and yeah, I don't, tracks are one thing, but I thought it was a really cool message about, about the pumpkin, you know, like the Holy Spirit, you know, takes all the guts and the nasty seeds and all that stuff in the inside and puts that light on the inside of us. And mm-hmm. I mean, stuff like that. It's just, um, what are we, what are we doing with the darkness that's in us, the, 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 with our stories, because our stories are like that. I mean, we just, we're born in this world and we, we're just trying to figure out how to live, right? Some people are trying to figure out how to survive and, and there's something to that, but, uh, just how to live, right? Not believing lies, but, uh, living in the light, Mm -hmm. but you have to go into the darkness, right? Right. We don't like that. A lot of Christians don't like that, but it's true. I mean, you talk about forgiveness and reconciliation, man. That's a that's a freaking horror story, right? Some of that is a horror story, but if you just look at it like it's all going to be dark and it's all going to be horrible, man, you're you're not thinking about that light that can fill that space, right? You know, and it is dark. It's a dark space, man. It's a dark, messy, gunky space. But God can fill it, and there is redemption in into getting into those those dark places, isn't there? Definitely, and that that's the thing. It's like you know, if you if you trust God to come in and shed light on that dark space and to heal that, you know, whether that's through forgiveness or you know what whatever that issue in your life is, if you trust God enough to allow Him to heal that, that light within you will be so powerful that in my experience and with, with other guys I've seen, you're going to be sharing it whether you want to or not yeah. because it's going to change your life. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, going back to like lie number seven when we first talked about it, uh, I, I've had guys ask me like, well, how do you know if you're believing like the true gospel or, or not? You know, and it's like my answer is always like, you will know. Yeah. You know, it's like when you meet Jesus, there's no doubt. It will change your life in ways that that, you know, you're not, yeah, I mean, everybody has moments of doubt or whatever, but but it's like it will be such a life-changing thing. You will experience a new heart. You will experience the Holy Spirit. It's yeah. not, you know, it's like you will know, and other people will know also. And so in that sense, it's like, you know, you're not going to be able to help but share this message. You're not going to be able to help but want to to share other people, like share with other people the light that you found. Right. And because it's like, I mean, if, if you find a cure for cancer, are you just going to be like, oh, nobody wants to hear about it because then I'd have to tell them about how you used to have cancer. <laughs> right. No, I mean, you're going to be like, hey, I had cancer. Now I don't. Yeah. You know, and it's like. And it's God put that in us, too. You exactly. Know? He programmed us with that. It's in our DNA. I mean, I was listening to, uh, I read an article on this, this uh, social media, and they were talking to a, a psychologist and asking him why social media is such a big deal. Why does this thing, you know, light up? Why is Facebook one of the. You know, I mean, Zuckerberg was one of the youngest billionaires creating Facebook. And uh, and he was saying that, you know, there's something in a human being that wants to share what's good. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to share our lives with others. And this is an electronic way of just, boom, doing that with with whoever we want, you know. 
and and so yeah, man, it's just good news. You see a good movie, like we're talking about the Lego movie. <laughs> it's it's uh, you just want to share it. It's not it's it's it, yeah, man. It's that's that's good news. That's the gospel. Again, it's not. Oh, I have to go and track bomb the projects from my suburb home because I don't want to go around those dirty people, right? This is a totally different thing than, than that kind of weird religion thing, right? Right. Yeah. Very true. Um, but I, I guess I wanted to go back to, uh, before we close, to, to, to lie number seven, because of all the heart-level emails I've got over the years, and I've got hundreds of emails over the years doing this podcast, Maybe thousands. I don't. I haven't counted, but there's lots. But that's a that's one that a lot of people really struggle with. Stephen is is the is the forgiveness, reconciliation, and going into those those dark places and seeking healing. Um, there's good news that for some people can sound like bad news, right? And. Uh, I don't. I don't want to be Mister. You know, spreading the message of hell and, and all that. Right? I don't want to bang the drum of, you know. But there's some truth to that too, isn't there? I mean, this this good news can be bad news if we don't if we don't get it in our hearts, right? Does that make sense? Kind of. Um, so if I have to forgive again, again. So we'll use the example that I shared earlier. If, if or a guy, let's say a guy has to forgive his, his brother for sexually molesting him. And he is that asshole jerk, right? He doesn't right. want to even acknowledge that it happened. Um, and this guy's working towards trying to forgive him. Um, what, do, what does he do with that? Like, let's say okay. I'm that guy and, I, and I've read your book and I've heard this, this message about that step. Um, and I, I'm so afraid of of even addressing this, right? Uh, what wh- what does that look like? So let's go into forgiveness just a little more to maybe yeah stoke that 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 light and that pumpkin a little bit. <laughs> well, the, the the first thing I would say is um, just understand that it's normal to be afraid of that. Yeah, you know, there's I don't think there's anybody in that situation that just shows up and and reads the Bible that says, "Oh, I need to forgive." Okay, cool. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like in a lot of ways, I think this is one of the hardest things that that we're called to do but again when you understand that it's we're not doing it for whoever hurt us we're doing it so that we can be free we're doing it to set ourselves free from the from the sin and to not allow any root of unforgiveness or bitterness to take hold it's about us being us trusting god it's not about you know us letting somebody else off the hook you know and And mustering enough power to do that right and so when you when you come at it from from that perspective the uh you know i outline all this in in the chapter um but it's really important to to realize that there's there's two steps to forgiveness there's vertical forgiveness Uh and horizontal forgiveness and what i mean by that is like we will never as humans have the power within us to go to say that brother and forgive them it's just, it's not something we can do in our human power. Right. In order to have the ability to do that, we need to forgive them vertically, which means just between me and God. Right. And, you know, if you want great examples of this, 
read the Psalms, read the passion of David in there, and uh, or the other Psalm writers as they're just yelling to God, you know, my enemies are persecuting me and all this is happening and why are you letting this happen? Be honest with God right. and just say, God, this happened, this sucks, it wasn't right, this is the effect it's had on me, this is how it's continued to affect my life. You know, I need you to know that, um, which I mean, God already knows it, but you're acknowledging it to God and you say, and God, I need you to take care of that. I need you to set me free from that. And ultimately, I need you to give me the ability to forgive this man, because I know ultimately that's what I'm going to have to do. But, you know, there can be a long time of just you and God, just just you working through it with God. And I've heard uh, I've heard people say, like, you know, sometimes you can't even say the prayer like, Lord, help me to forgive. You have to take a step back and say, Lord, help me to want to forgive. And, you know, I had one guy in group once say, like, I think I'm at the point where my prayer is, Lord, help me to want to want to forgive. You know, and that's fine. Start where you are. That's another thing about 10, right? Like that guy is kind of pushing past that that lie number 10, that God can't use me in my unforgiveness. God could even use that guy in that because he's talking about it. He's the guy saying, hey, I want to forgive. I don't know how to forgive. Help me do that. You know, right. help me understand. I'm praying to God, and God's, you know, the Holy Spirit's helping me with that. And for, for I mean, that guy's being in. That's what's so important about community is because you get to hear those kinds of stories. You get to hear a guy walk through something like that, right? Yeah. And and that's you know busting through that that lie number ten as he's going through that lie number eight. Right, and that's the thing. I mean, like these aren't steps. Right, they're you not know, steps, right. All, <laughs> they're, they're just, all ten of these they're lies. They're lies that we believe. We believe yeah. them, man, and that's the thing. And yeah. they all overlap, you know, and yeah. it's, I don't think it's really possible to work on one without working on the other nine. I mean, it all comes down to just who is Jesus? Do I trust him? You know, and when you figure out the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of who God is, the truth of who we are, yeah. you know, when you understand those truths... That's what sets you free. That's what enables you to finally forgive. You know, it's you may spend years just working on forgiving that brother that, you know, did stuff to you or whatever. It may take you years of just working on it with God. Yeah. And, you know, but eventually he will bring you to a point where you can finally say, okay, I forgive him. Yeah. You know, and then at that point it becomes horizontal. Right. And at that point, you know, what that looks like that can be a very personal thing. Sometimes that involves going and, and telling the person you forgive them. Sometimes, you know, if it's a case with abuse or whatever, that might not be safe. That may just be something you have to do from a distance. It may be a parent that's passed on and it'll be a symbolic thing, Yeah. you know, and, uh, but until you forgive them to God first, until you work through this with God and ask him to give you the supernatural ability to forgive them, it's just lip service, you know, because yeah. I've, I've had, I've heard people be like, oh yeah, I, you know, I knew I had to forgive, so I said I forgive you, you know, right. and it's like, well, that's just religious gymnastics. Yeah, that how's that working for you? You yeah. know, do, are you still spending every day like affected by the, the pain and all that? And, and again, I don't, I don't say that to make light of the situation, but it's oftentimes that's one of those lies is we believe that we've forgiven, but really all we've done is said some words we don't actually feel. Right. Know? And the only way we can reach a point where we actually want to say those words is if Christ gives us the ability to do that. True. Very true. We don't have to muster it up. Right. Yeah. Because if we did, that would be bad news. <laughs> really bad news. Yeah. 
Stephen, thank you uh, again for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. I uh, appreciate your work, and uh, thank you for what you're doing. Um, I think that's a good place to, to close out the, the show here. Um, any any final thoughts before we we depart? Yeah, well, just, you know, thanks for having me. Um, and not to sound like an infomercial or whatever, but I'd encourage all your listeners, check out my website, beltoftruth.com. Right. Um, I've got, uh, you know, you can contact me there if you have any questions, uh, do a lot of, of reader Q and a sort of stuff. And, you know, it's really my hope to be as accessible as possible. You know, I don't, I don't want to be the guy that, that never responds to emails. You know, it's my goal. If you send me an email, I oftentimes I'll be able to get back to you, you know, that day. And right. so if you're struggling with something, if you're, if, if you know, there's someone you need to forgive and you don't even know how to do it, um, you know. The, ultimately, that's going to be something between you and the Holy Spirit. But I would love to be able to counsel you in that. You know, if, if you have questions on that, I can share with you just my experience and what I've learned with working with other guys, and and maybe it'll help. Right. You know, but uh, just any question, whatever it is, uh, you know, reach me there. And uh, but yeah, thank, yeah, thanks again for having me on the podcast. And you bet. You know, I'll, doing a book study on this. You know, get some guys together, maybe do a book study on this. So yeah, important. Even for guys who aren't struggling with porn, it's just good stuff, you know. It's just really good uh, gospel, you know. It, it, it's it's gospel truth that helps untangle some of that morality-based message that we've been spoon-fed as a culture through some jacked-up morality-based teachings for a lot of years. And I think that's another thing that's real important about it. Mm-hmm. Morality doesn't work long term. It's hanging fruit on a dead tree. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It looks pretty for a while until you get the fruit flies and it starts rotting. And yeah. It's like, oh, what, what smells bad in here? Oh, yeah. that's morality. Yeah. That's Bob's midlife crisis. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, all right, man. I, I love you. I'm going to, we're going to close out the show right there. Um, again, the website is beltoftruth.com. Right. And uh, again, thanks for, for being on the show, Stephen. Thank you. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of